the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. You know, we get so many books, I can't tell you. I read so many books. It's like I finish a book and someone says, what did you just read? I say, let me think for a minute because they're piled up. You come to my house and usually everywhere you look, there are books. And, you know, people come and say, can I take this book or can I borrow that book? I had such a good time reading the latest that arrived called The Delmonico and The Delmonico Way which was an expression that I heard a lot. And it's by Max Tucci, who is a producer, the host of Max and Friends. Max is on television, he's on radio, he writes, he talks, he's a great foodie, and he knows a lot about entertainment. He is part of the Delmonico legacy, one of the great restaurants in New York City, And I still remember when I was coming of age and restaurants like the Delmonico were such an occasion and such a treat and such a thrill to go there. And you would see celebrities and stars and the women would dress and the men would be all done up. And you really felt you were part of New York when you did this and celebrated whatever occasions or even just going. So Max, in his new book, he brought it all back, including the recipes. And it was, you would eat, you know, you didn't have, I don't know how the world has changed so much, but I don't remember anyone being gluten-free, hyper-allergic, you name it, they all had it. The pool waiters, as time went on how to deal with all these food issues. But in the days of the Delmonico and the Delmonico way, just going through those sacred doors was enough of an occasion and a thrill. And we didn't eat out the way, you know, people eat out. They drag their kids. They go everywhere. Eating out was like something special and Our eating out was maybe a restaurant like the Delmonico for a big occasion, but it was basically the local Chinese restaurant on Sunday night where you would order two from column A, one from column B. They they don't have that in New York anymore, or maybe they do somewhere in Chinatown, but basically it was different. And reading this book not only was a love song to New York or the New York that existed then, but to a family and to a restaurant, the Delmonico Way. And I'm curious, Max, you grew up in this world and you loved it and your family and relatives. So how did this come about? What made you decide this was the time now to open up the family coffers? (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joan, for having me here. You know, from, from the Demonica Way, which is a New York Institute icon, to Joan Hamburg, New York's radio's first lady, you're another icon. So you understand iconic uh, restaurants. Um, and so, you know, Joan, it's a wonderful question. For years, I've been penning this book, 15 years, um, to really get it accurate, historically accurate. 
my my father, my aunt, my grandfather, my ancestors, when they took over Delmonico's in 1926, you know, I like to say they had the, the treasure trove that Ariel from The Little Mermaid had. You know, all these treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? And so for all these years, I was thinking, what am I going to do with all of these archives that I have that my family saved over the years? So I started penning a book. And it was not an easy um, thing to do. And it took so long that at moments I thought I was going to give up. And I kept getting this push to say, Max, keep going and tell the story of the Delmonico Way, sublime, entertaining and legendary recipes from the restaurant that made New York. And finally, Rizzoli, they came to the table and they said, we want to do the book. And so it's just been a love song. Indeed, you said those words, and that's what it is for me. It's a love song to share my history, my family's history, and this iconic institution that that really celebrates old New York. Right, old New York. And and Delmonico's, we're going back, when you say old New York, to 1827. And the restaurant scene in those days was so different from what we have now. And your family was really amazing because they started eating was an experience, was dining. They had wonderful china and silver and napkins and special menus. And I didn't know that the power lunch originated in Delmonico's. And that's become a trademark even to this day. Indeed. Well, you know, many have tried to um, attribute the power lunch to them coining it. You know, for instance, in 1979, Esquire editor-in-chief Lee Eisenberg said, oh, the power lunch. And they said, oh, that's a great term. But we have to go back to really 1868 was the first time that Delmonico's, a restaurant in general, allowed women to dine unaccompanied by men. So what does that mean? Prior to that, women can only go to a restaurant with a man. And some say, Max, this is crazy. I said, well, we have to flash forward to the 1970s. Women weren't even allowed to have a credit card recently unless their husband co-signed for them. So the movement for women has been such a struggle. And it was Delmonico's and the Delmonico brothers that really broke that glass ceiling. And I don't want to sound antiquated by saying the word aloud, but allowed women to dine unaccompanied by men. And so it was really quite the extraordinary affair, something to be celebrated. And the Delmonico brothers were very clever. Yes, in 1827, they opened the first uh, bake shop, a confectionery. And then by 1930, it became a restaurant. And all the way, they had such success um, until about the 1920s when Prohibition set in. And eventually, they had to close. And then by 1926... The restaurant was empty, and my grandfather, a a Tuscan immigrant from Florence, Italy, knew that that building was going to be his, and he resurrected the phoenix and helped rise it from the ashes. But you know, um, what I'm curious about, too, when you were the the beholder of all the memorabilia and everything, Mm -hmm. but they kept a log of everyone, like you said, Elizabeth Taylor ate there, Jacqueline Kennedy, my hero when I was obsessed with movie stars, Rock Hudson, <laughs> Gypsy Rose Lee, they were all part of your restaurant that, that yeah. was their home away from home, Joan Crawford, all welcome to the famous tables at Delmonico's. 
So you found all these reservations and all these lists? Exactly. You know, my so to paint the picture of the characters, my grandfather, Oscar Tucci, was the head. He, you know, was the one that purchased the building, operated the restaurant. My Aunt Mary, who was his daughter, which we call the iron fist with the lace glove, she was the first woman to work in finances in a restaurant. And then my father, Mario Tucci, he was really the playboy of the restaurant. He brought everyone in. He had an entertainment company. He made sure that the glitz and the glamour was there, Joan. So my Aunt Mary had saved every single piece of ephemera, some of it dating back to 1800s printed on silk menus for the royal family. But as you're saying, the lists of Gypsy Rose Lee and Babe Ruth and Virginia Graham and Debbie Reynolds and Ava Gabor, she saved the reservation books, the guest books, the photographs, the newspaper clippings, you know, so for all these years, and then my mother naturally continued to save them for me. And so I never knew that this treasure trove was one day going to become, you know, a book and not only a book, but one that shares the rich history of what was Cary Grant's favorite drink? What did Marilyn Monroe eat? What did Elizabeth Taylor request when she went to Delmonico's? So to be able to celebrate old New York, old Hollywood, the Daily News did a double page spread on the book and they said Max Tucci recreates the era of lush luxury. And since then, the book has become a number one bestseller on Amazon. So we're thrilled. Well, you should be. That's a very hard task and feat. And it is fantastic, and it takes us back uh, to a time when really eating in a good restaurant was so much a part of mm. one's life if they, if they could afford it. It was a, a fantastic introduction to the city. And your family introduced you how to do it, how every napkin has to be perfect and folded <laughs> They were really, they watched everything. They watched everything. And, you know, it was interesting because earlier you had said the fine china and the silver. Imagine, Joan, well, you you don't have to imagine. You went to Delmonico's, you know, from WOR. But Delmonico's had Genori on the table, the beautiful plates from Italy, Genori, Cristolfo sterling silver. They had the Baccarat. ashtrays, Baccarat glasses. Can you imagine? And recently I was asked on on my book tour, someone said, what happens if a glass went missing? I said, glasses never went missing because back then my Aunt Mary made sure that if a glass was missing, that the waiter, the server, would be charged for it. So they were all very cautious of what was on the table. And my job as a child growing up, you know, we had one also in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, My job was to check to make sure the glasses didn't have chips on them, that the plates didn't have any chips and that all the light bulbs were working and one task that i had which was not glamorous at all but i had to clean the ashtrays and they were basically grooming me to take over the restaurant my sister nicoletta on the other hand she was able to be in the kitchen and cook and (laughs) and so i you know i one day i said i want to go in the kitchen and then that was it Uh, that was my love affair with the kitchen right you you got hooked (laughs) and you know it is a gift they taught you and the family, how to act with the guests, how to check on the wait staff and everyone else to make sure things weren't missing or, you know, someone decided they wanted a little snack and just took something. <laughs> so Indeed. they watched everything. When you were doing the book, did it make you want to bring it all back? You know, 
I think, and I have to pause when I answer this question, because, you know, Joan, to bring back what was, I don't think can ever happen again. Delmonico's was such a unique time during my family's, you know, operation, because people then were different in the sense self-worth and honor. You know, when I go through the photographs and I see women wearing diamonds by the yard and, you know, the Cartier lighters, there was such this affluence and such this beauty of expression to dining. Gypsy Rose Lee would be in a full gown and a sable shrug. Virginia Graham would show up in a chinchilla cape. You know, it's like, so today, I think to recreate something like Delmonico's was, for anyone, is very difficult. Now I flirted with the idea, but do I really want to own a restaurant? Not really. It's such a business where, you know, literally, Joan, my father died of a massive stroke because of the demands. You know, he was constantly stressed. And with Delmonico's having such a reputation, you never knew, you know, is Gail Green coming in? Who's coming in? Who's, you know, going to write about the restaurant? So every day had to be perfection in the Delmonico way. Right. Even the bar. I mean, I shouldn't say even the bar. Your bartenders originated incredible drinks. I mean, glamorous drinks Mm -hmm. that became part of drink history. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun because when I was going through my Aunt Mary's diary and notes and all of this ephemera that I have, you know, I learned what Cary Grant's favorite drink was. And it's so funny because the Daily News, when they wrote about it, the New York Daily News, they said, it sounds like a hangover in the glass. Right. And my father brought the Negroni to the restaurants in America. You know, we have a house in Florence, Italy, and he was constantly at Harry's Bar and they were serving the Bellini and the Negroni. Mm -hmm. And my father said, oh, we have to bring this to America. So when he introduced the Negroni to the bar, he did his Delmonico way tip, which was to top it off with a vintage rosé champagne. So the Delmonico way really, Joan, is taking everything to the next level to really have the experience You know, I think where dining has changed, and I said this recently and I got into a little bit of trouble, is that the celebrity chef has become the one that everyone wants to go see. Let's go see the celebrity chef. Instead, it's really about the client. And my grandfather and father always said about the client, the validation. Do you see them? Do you hear them? And do they matter? And so that in itself is a a tone that I feel is missing from restaurants today because everyone's going now to celebrate the chef instead of the chef celebrating the client. Right. Well, the chefs today have their own PR. Yeah. And um, that wasn't what was going on then. Now, I'm curious. Delmonico was famous for a lot of its special food dishes. How did you choose what went into this book? (laughs) Well, that was a task in itself. And, you know, over the recipes, the Epicurean, which is the Delmonico cookbook that dates back to the 1800s, has literally thousands of recipes. And so I really wanted to do touch points that were the most noted throughout the years, the century, you know, the the decades of Delmonico's. Oysters Rockefeller, Baked Alaska, Lobster Newburgh, the Delmonico Steak. You know, all of these things were said to have originated at Delmonico's. My grandfather in the 1930s created the wedge salad. He had gone, you know, their farms were in Bridgeport, Connecticut and in Staten Island. And he had the first refrigerated Cadillac that he would be able to go to these farms and bring fresh produce back. So when I was picking the recipes for the book, yes, I wanted to have the staples and the classics. But I also wanted to go through like salmon aspic. No one makes aspic anymore. 
And so how do I create an aspect where I don't really, I'm not, I don't know how to create aspect. So that's when I called on celebrity chef friends like Andrew Zimmern, who he gave me his grandmother's salmon tomato aspect. Carla Hall gave me her delicious cheesecake because cheesecake was one of the number one items sold at the lunches. We did over a thousand lunches a day Mm -hmm. downtown. And then, of course, the baked Alaska was Letty Alvarez. And so really, I have chefs from all over the world contribute their take also on Delmonico Classics. And what your family did, they didn't allow paparazzi in so that famous clients, even though they loved getting press, but they loved getting it in a certain way. They didn't want to be harassed or Mm -hmm. worry about every time they lifted a spoon that someone was going to be taking a picture or writing about them. And he was way ahead of his time when it came to that. The the guests came first, and he protected yeah. them. He did. You know, he. my grandfather was known for saying, all are welcome at my table. And when he said all, he meant everyone, including Kristen Jorgensen and Lena Horne, where at times women like Lena Horne and, and Kristen Jorgensen weren't allowed into restaurants. And my right. grandfather welcomed everyone. And the no paparazzi rule, I love you for saying that, Joan, because it's something that was so important to Oscar because he wanted celebrities to feel safe in the restaurant. If they wanted their pictures, they would go to the 21 Club, they would go to Stork Club, they would go to Copacabana. They knew that they were there, you know, for the scene. But Oscar wanted a place where they could come and retreat to. That's why Rock Hudson would come there. You know, he would go by all the paparazzi outside and the screaming fans when they heard that he was coming, and he would retreat to a quiet booth. So celebrities, it was interesting because they would dress, yes, for the occasion, but they also had this intimate, intimate in the sense it was a huge, 70,000 square feet was the full operation, but intimate in the sense where they knew they had a place that they could go where they could not be harassed or bothered by the camera. And so the pictures that we have of celebrities are very few, but they're very, they're so beautiful because you can capture those moments of Ava Gabor and Red Buttons enjoying dinner at Delmonico's, but on very rare occasions when if there was an event, a photographer was allowed in. And so it really, it became the staple that I think drew the celebrity, old Hollywood, Turner Classic Movie Hollywood, into uh, into the restaurant. I couldn't believe that Abraham Lincoln ate there. I mean, is that <laughs> a true? Yeah. Well, you know, we have to go back, you know, to talk about the present, we really have to talk about the past, right? And so what the Delmonico brothers really did was introduce uh, fine dining to America. And so since Abraham Lincoln, they said every president had dined at Delmonico's, even Nikola Tesla and Mark Twain had his birthday, you know, and there were various locations around New York. So when people say, well, was it at this location or was it downtown or was it midtown? So they really, you know, to say that they had a fine dining chain, the Delmonico brothers, they really did. They created this fine dining chain and they operated it almost for a hundred years. So it was quite the endeavor of a family affair. And then it was beautiful to have my family be able to operate it from the 1920s to the 1980s. Right, and survived all kinds of things, including prohibition. And I love the story of, I think it was your grandfather's wife. Yeah, my grandmother's sister. Your grandmother, <laughs> who would smuggle the gin into the restaurant with her baby. She came in with the baby carriage, and the baby was covered. And that was Mario. And um, the booze would be under the cover. It was, you know, I laughed because we called my grandmother Sesta. And, you know, Joan, remember, I never met my grandfather Oscar or my grandmother Sesta. 
So I only have these stories that were passed down to me about them. But my grandmother, Sesta, was one of the most incredible women ever. She was known as the original bootlegger because she would literally bring alcohol in my father's pram. But she was also one of the kindest women around. You know, Sierra Maccioni, who worked, who owned Le Cirque, the famous Sierra Maccioni in Le Cirque, he first worked at Delmonico's. And it was my grandmother that secretly gave him money so that he could go back to Italy, get all of his paperwork together so that he could come to America and become a citizen. And then naturally he married Edgy at our apartment in Park Avenue on 1165 Park Avenue. And so my grandmother was so kind, but she had such a streak of funny to her where she would help my father, my grandfather, you know, smuggle in this illegal alcohol during prohibition. And, and tell the story. You know, it's very hard to get, keep the, the crowd and keep people going. And Wall Street was a very coveted group. And especially the restaurant was downtown. So Tucci put a stock ticker at the end of the bar. And that's where all the Wall Street execs would hang out. Can yeah. you imagine if someone did that today? They could, didn't have to worry about work. They didn't have to run back to see what was happening with the market. Lehman Brothers, you wrote, had their own room and ticker. And these guys, because they were mostly guys then at from Wall Street, they could just come and have their wonderful lunch, take a little glance at the end of the bar and uh, feel it was safe and okay. You know, it's so my grandfather was really ahead of his time and a true genius. He did. He brought the first ticker tape to the restaurant, to the bar. So that meant that when he did these thousand lunches a day, just imagine that number, right? How many people were going to Delmonico's to dine? He didn't want them to leave. You know, the more drinks, the more money, <laughs> right? right? So he kept this. And what was fascinating was, and I found all of these old newspaper clippings, you know, because people are like, oh, you know, they're always skeptical about when you say the first, especially in New York, right? And so I have all of the newspaper clippings that date back to when my grandfather brought this ticker tape in. But he went as far, Joan, to teach the staff how to read the ticker tape as well so they could then tell the clientele what was going on. So imagine, you know, the, the heads of J.P. Morgan, Lehman Brothers, they were all there. You know, and Muriel Cyber, who was the first woman on Wall Street, she always went to Delmonico's. And that ticker tape machine was one of the biggest assets that my grandfather had, had placed in the restaurant. In addition to, he had a menu printing press because the menu was constantly changing. Because remember, it really was then farm to table. And so the menu was changing. So Oscar Tucci really brought so many wonderful attributes to the restaurant, including this ticker tape. And I have the original ticker tape ribbons. My Aunt Mary even saved those, and we put those in the book as well. You know, Max, I was trying to remember, what is in that space now? So the space, when we go back to originally, it was, you know, the restaurant, and then there were offices for immigration. There were offices for ship insurance. Then it went on to when my grandfather purchased. First, he purchased the lower level because that's where the kitchen was, and the first floor, which was the restaurant. He had a speakeasy in the 1920s in the basement, and then as time progressed, and by 1933, he had the third liquor license in New York. And my Aunt Mary saved that, so that's in the book as well. And, uh-huh. then, he, and then he bought the entire building. So there were floors of the Bull and Bear Room, the Python Room, 
the penthouse, which is where Rock Hudson would go. And, you know, there were all of these incredible rooms and private rooms throughout the building, plus offices. Lehman Brothers had an office. The Harvard Club had their spot there as well. So when Oscar Tucci was running Delmonico's, 70,000 square feet of, of entertaining, of fine dining, of lunch areas, of the oyster bar. And then when my mother and my Aunt Mary sold the building after my father's death, um, the restaurant still stayed on the, uh, the same floor and the basement. And then there were apartments that were, um, they transformed the building into apartments. So I have a couple of friends that live in the building, and it's a wonderful place to live. You know, to be able to live in the iconic Delmonico's building is such of a course. cool thing. The landmark building, you know, and, um, and now, unfortunately, the restaurant is closed. And, you know, fingers crossed that, that it opens soon and that someone, whoever is going to take it over, you know, operates it in such a way that we can see what Delmonico's means, not only to New York, but the world. Right. But the family still has the space. No, you know, we sold the space and um, and that was kind of like a bittersweet moment, you know, for my mother and my aunt. But when my father died, my aunt was in the industry for 40 plus years, she, you know, enough. and she was tired. And my mother, my mother was actually in the fashion industry. She opened Jaeger on Madison Avenue. She opened the Roberto Di Camerino store with Onassis and Olympic Tower. She was the vice president of Maximilian Furs. So the restaurant industry for her was one that, you know, she would bring all the, the designers in and the models in, but she did not want to be a part of it after my father's death. So we closed New York and then we had Greenwich, Connecticut also, and we closed Greenwich, Connecticut. And that was really, for my mother, I think one of the hardest moments of her, of her time because her husband had just passed, you know, and she had called Tony May from San Domenico, New York, and he right. had the Rainbow Room. He used to work for Delmonico's. That was his first job. And she called him and said, Tony, Mario passed. Please take over Delmonico's. And Tony said, Gina, I can't do a restaurant in Greenwich. My mother then called Sirio. Sirio, please take over Delmonico's in Greenwich. And Sirio said, you know, with the Cirque, I don't know if I can. And so today, they, when I spoke to Tony before he passed, he said, I wished I had taken over Delmonico's in Greenwich because today Greenwich, Connecticut is such a, a capital for, for food with some of the best chefs in the world. Right, and up good, wonderful there. restaurants. Yeah. Well, you never know. The future could be very bright. And next time I go out and people order Eggs Benedict, I'm going to remind <laughs> them that this dish was invented at Delmonico's. Who knew that? <laughs> and people still cherish it today. And when I make salad, I'm going to remember no warm plate. Even the forks and knives have to be chilled. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of essence. good life's lessons there. You yes. did a great job. It was so much fun to read. And it Thank was a you. trip through old New York. Thank and you. what could you know, be still. What could be still indeed. And Joan, I love that you said that the, the chilled plates and forks and knives because that's the Delmonico way. That's really the essence. My grandfather always said, how can you serve a cold salad on a warm plate? <laughs> it's, right? Yeah. And so it's really to, to bring all of that to these pages and the eggs Benedict, Tara Koss is a dear friend of mine. We call her the, the yolk queen. She, <laughs> um, made, she did this recipe. So you can bring the Delmonico way into your home and you can make all these recipes Valentine's Day. Stay home this year and cook. Have a romantic right. affair at home. <laughs> they sound good. And make Cherry's Jubilee dishes that a lot of us grew up with, you know, yeah. on special occasions. It wasn't exactly the jello dessert. 
Right. But it's all there, and it is a fun trip. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. The Delmonico Way by Max Tucci. Enjoy. We'll talk again.